Well, it's not often in, in sports that and team sports that one or two players can make an impact. It takes two to ten. I guess it only takes two to tango, but uh, in baseball, you should take more. The Indians are coming off a four to two victory over the Kansas City Royals because of basically Jose Ramirez and Shane Bieber uh, picking up a little bit of bad juju from the last couple of games. They're now two and four or two and three on the season. I'm Justin Latta. I'm joined by Spencer Carlson. This is Smoke Signal. Spencer, Indians go into another weird off day, this time with a win. Yeah, I don't understand the uh, scheduling early on, but uh, much better to be two and three than one and four. I mean, that says the least. Yeah, they won a Shane Bieber start. That's a good thing. You know, I mean, with the way this offense is, if you don't win the Shane Bieber starts, then not that the, the pitching staff has, has not been good the whole time. I mean, the starters each time through have been good enough so far. So it's not imperative they win Shane Bieber starts. They can win any of them, but they haven't put the offense together. This is just the second time in five games that they have put up more than two runs. Uh, and they are, I'm sorry, yeah, two runs. They're 2-0, and oh and they score more than two runs. That's a good sign, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the starting pitching and the bullpen have been pretty solid. A couple long balls here and there, but, uh, you know, besides stringing together a couple of hits, I mean, I think I tweeted out in the middle of this game today that the offense was like, the slash line was like 191. 287, 650. It was really bad for the whole season. So 650 OPS. Yeah, that's yeah. that's not ideal. Definitely not ideal. <laughs> Definitely do not want that. Um, Dan Graffs has not updated to take into account today's um, numbers yet. And and Cleveland had a ton of hard hit balls today. They hit the ball hard in a lot of innings, and they have all season. They're I think in the top 10 in there, I think they're 15th in exit velocity. They're 14th in exit velocity. I think that's going to go up after today. So that's been the biggest thing so far. I think, I think a lot of us expected this offense to not be good coming into the season. And it hasn't been. But I would say I'm pleasantly surprised by how well some of the guys are hitting the ball. But, it, I mean, it's obvious that, that exit velocity yeah. is not everything because you've got Jake Bowers, who is popping up and, and hitting grounders. And finally, of course, today uh, on Wednesday when the Indians won 4-2, um, he had a, like a 72-mile-hour blooper that fell for his first hit of the season. So, he said, uh, coming into this game, he had exit velocities so, of, let's see, 95, 95, 102. Uh, and then today he had, I had the 72 mile an hour one, but he also had another 100 mile an hour hit today that wasn't a hit. So I really 
I really can't fault uh, Jake Bowers for anything. Yeah, 95, 95, 110, 74, 106, and then today, 72. I can't really fault anything for Jake Bowers other than the pop-ups, honestly. Yeah, um, you can, you can definitely turn it two ways, with, not just Jake Bowers, but with the team. And, like, you know, you and I were at opening day. There were some rockets, you know, and a lot of balls to the deep part of the ballpark. But the part that's frustrating – with it also is it doesn't, you know, result in anything. You say, well, it's not just unlucky. Well, that that's true, uh, very much an aspect, but is it unlucky or does it become common theme? You know what I mean? There's, there are some major leaguers who have really good exit velocity, but poor launch angles or just like really good at hitting it where the are. Yes. I mean, that happens a lot. <laughs> yeah, so they're really good at hitting it exactly where the defenders are um, or have, like, really bad launch angles but hit it 110 miles an hour off the bat. So um, there's there's multiple equations to that, but there has been a bit of unluckiness with some of those hits that turned into outs. But at the same time, with how good quality of bats have happened with the exit velocity and it being April, have been the amount of – poor at bats i mean if you even look today and of course we won the game and i'm not gonna harp on it but they went through like four innings and i think jacob junis had like 39 pitches and they didn't produce anything i mean they had a base hit from i think josh naylor and that was about it so just they are not even bringing junis into a deep count in a bullpen game so some of the quality of at bats have been suspect yeah i, I would say the the at bats and the, the loss the junis were or at the loss but the that bats against Junis in the win before they pulled him because of a pitch count. But is it weird that I'm saying I'm not totally discouraged by some of like, yeah, Jose Ramirez. The only reason Cleveland won today is because Shane Beaver was really good. Jose Ramirez is really good. And, you know, they do have a decent bullpen even though James Karinczak did give up a hit with traffic on that, you know, runs that weren't charged to him. But I'm not completely as discouraged as maybe – I mean, it's only five games. If you get if you get too overblown for five games – like I saw someone today tweet that um, Cleveland should consider trading – taking calls on um, Eddie Rosario and Cesar Hernandez and Jose Ramirez after five games. Like, whoa. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's yeah. That's, that's, a, that's a little crazy. There's, you know what, I've I've long thought is is baseball was just not made for Twitter. It's just not. I uh, I don't. I mean, I agree. I mean, but that's every sport. Like, you know, if you talk to other friends, NBA Twitter is awful. Some of the, you know, and I'm a big like Baker Mayfield guy. Some of the super fans for the Browns are absolutely annoying. Just sports and Twitter don't mix in general because it's hot take century. Um, so I don't know. You take the good with the bad. I mean, there's like pitching ninja out there. Who's awesome. Who's one of the best Twitter accounts for me personally. I love watching his gifts and his videos. I mean, you take the good with the bad with the Twitter, but like, yeah, back to the, to the tribe, you don't want to overblow five games. But like I was telling you yesterday, when you and I were talking, you have like that pit in your stomach. You're like, can these guys produce consistently and I came down to where like they can't string the hits together like the home runs are great but they can't really relatively 
start a rally and they really haven't ever done a rally yet this year even in that awesome Detroit game where they scored nine runs it was just a bunch of bombs also and that's great but like they're not going single double single bunt single like that's that inning has not happened for the tribe once this year at all and I don't even think they have 10 hits which is fine it's only five games but uh if it's not for the huge inning against Detroit this team's averaging like 1.8 runs a game and it's still kind of concerning when like I was telling you going through like the fifth inning today they're hitting about a buck 90 with not even a 300 on base percentage so they're not taking their walks either they're not I thought they were having I mean they're not like I have to look back I have to look back at the leaderboard I mean, they're, ta- they're I mean, they're taking a cu- they're taking a couple. The same guys you always would expect to take walks are taking walks. But like, I'm guessing if you looked at it on FanGraphs right now, they're not up. They're probably middle of the they're pack top on walks. ten. And if you're not going to be 10. a batting, really coming, right? coming well, okay, really? they don't have they don't have today's games updated in there, but they were uh, in the eighth position at eleven at eleven percent for the season, eleven point seven, and they are great. And they need they need And they are that. the team that strikes out the least. They only have fifteen percent strikeouts so far this year through five games. So they are the team that strikes out the least. You and I talked about that yesterday. They're not striking out a lot. But then also at the same time, once again, this is where you always just kinda of like play devil's advocate. They've not faced a guy who's a strikeout artist yet. I mean, they're facing the like once again, Jacob Junis's, Danny Duffy's, Matthew Boyd's of the world. These guys were never strikeout artists to begin with. So let's get a game against like, you know, a guy who's striking out ten people a game before we decide if this team's a strikeout team or not. Yeah, I mean you're not you're not going up against the the cream of the crop when you're facing Detroit yet and Kansas City, and yeah, they didn't even face. I mean, Tariq Skubal's a decent pitcher, but he's a he's a rookie and hasn't really realized his potential yet. And same for I, I didn't see Casey Mize in the first series, but you know, it's not like Matt Boyd has a track record of strikeouts, and um, Danny Duffy's got a checkered history, and, and Jake Junis has a checkered history too. So yeah, they haven't really faced any really good pitching. So that's definitely something to think about that they haven't hit the ball well. I mean, they're not striking out. They're putting the bat on the ball. I just, I mean, I, I just feel like there's been a lot of tweets about, and I, I'm, I'm guilty of this too. And I think it's also, it's also relevant. I'm not saying this isn't relevant. I, I, just, I think I tweet a lot about it, other people have too, that it's exit velocities. We keep seeing all these exit velocities early in the year because that's the thing that is going to sustain good performance. So, if you see a guy hitting hard early, you know, hit the ball hard now, you feel like things are going to, you know, even out for him. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that because just like we always talk how it's only five games, these guys are at their most fresh at this point. I would look more at career exit velocity numbers on baseball savant instead of Jake Bowers having four at-bats that have gone 100 miles an hour. I don't think that's going to be a sustained success unless he changed something, which he very well could have. We've all heard it this offseason, but I'm not going to go off of four games with a couple exit velocities like, oh, he's going to have sustained success this season because the balls will start finding the grass. 
I'm going to start going off his exit velocity for his other, you know, 600 to 1,000 at-bats in his career and just wait to see it with my eyeballs first. That's kind of where I'm at with the team, too. It's like I need players to prove it. Like people like Lindors and the Ramirez's of the world don't need to prove it to me because you know they're going to be good. But a lot of these guys, you have half a team of journeymen and a half a team of young guys sandwiched between basically – Jose Ramirez and Framiel Reyes. So you really don't know what you're going to get from this offense every day. And the most concerning part is they used to beat up on the Matthew Boyds and the Jacob Junises of the world when they were winning 90 games consistently. So it, not that I'm like, I'm not hitting the panic button. I'm just saying like, this was my biggest concern that I talked about on the podcast. all. Yeah. Off. I mean, I don't think anybody should hit the panic button for five games. Like, even like the only only way anybody's off to I saw some people saying getting off to a slow start, like two and three is not a slow start. And the only way I think you after five games you can be off to a slow start is if you're zero and five. I feel like if even if you're one and four, you're still a series away from being five hundred. So you can't really say one and four is a slow start. Like zero and five, yeah, if you're winning after five games, that's not a great sign. And I'm not again, no one's saying that things are better for this team than we expected. Or they're worse. And I, I also don't think you can say that about anybody after five games, to be honest. But it's just funny. Like, I see. Yeah, no doubt. I, I don't. And I still have faith in this. First of all, I have a ton of faith in the bullpen at starting rotation. So I'm never going to count them out. But it's just like you asked me the other day, you're like, well, what if they're like 4 0? And like, what if they won all the games 2 to 1? Yeah, that's great, man. They're 4-0, won all the games like 2-1. to one. I would still be cons- the same amount concerned as I was being like 2-3 and three or 1-4. and four. Like scoring two runs a game is not a recipe for success. And once again, April, cold, all that other stuff. And the exit velocity, we have, we're basically both sitting here on like, well, are they going to figure it out? Or is the exit velocity going to allow for us to have long-term success? We don't know those things. Uh, so I think we're in the middle of like, is this team going to be good or is this team going to be bad? And I don't think they're going to be bad, but they could be like middle of the road. That's kind of where I feel they're going to end up being. I mean, probably, but there's just no reason to make these assumptions for five games. I mean, you could say, you know, like I, we talked about yesterday uh, before we tried to, you know, we tried to record it day earlier and it didn't quite work out for us, but. I think the way things have gone so far are exactly what we thought they would be. You know, they have a game where they scored nine runs. Um, Okay, great. And then they had a game where they scored four and then they lost games where they scored two or less. And they've been shut out once. Like, I just, I just think through five games, you've kind of already gotten a picture of what everyone thought was going to be a problem going into the season. And that's not to draw conclusions after five games, but you know, like, it's definitely that's not that's definitely not my point. It's not a far gone drawn conclusion because it's the early part of the season. The worrisome part about it, and I think I told you this at the stadium, is it's against two teams that both lost a hundred games in 2019 or close to it. I know Kansas City was 59 and 103 in 2019. They stink, and yeah, Carlos Santana's on the team now. They still stink, man. They're not a good baseball team. And they don't have a ton of pitching. You have to beat up on those type of teams. And I understand it's only April, but you can't get skunked. You can't get skunked by Danny Duffy. No, I mean, there's going to be some drawing pains. Okay, it is it is, it is. is April, and 
there is a, a, a suspect line. There's going to be some growing pains for this team gets to show what it's really going to be. I mean, if, if, if they were anything but inconsistent where they were, I mean, it, it's still ridiculous. We're sitting here talking about if anything matters, what they've done for five games is, is kind of ridiculous. Like I feel like we shouldn't even be spending time on this the way we have been, but if they would have been consistently good or consistently awful to start the season, I would have been surprised. I like we, I think we, again, we both expected this to be the way things went. And no, but no, definitely. We have, we're the, our, our contrast and opinion is we were both knew this was something, how exactly how it was going to go at the start of the season. Just, I am very much more concerned than you are. I think you think that the, the, the title wave of, is going to shift into success because there's some good exit velocity. And I think that this team is very young with a mixed bag and is going to not have sustained success on offense and going to have a lot of like days where they should be beating, beating bad pitchers. And they no, don't. I, I don't think magically these exit. I mean, again, we have to have a bigger sample that you can see you know, what this is going to turn into. And that's why, that's why I was pointing out that, you know, I, again, I tweet a lot about exit velocity and people have too, but, you know, Jake Bowers, who's hitting the ball relatively well over, you know, 90, 90 miles an hour, which is pretty good, has a, a launch angle of uh-huh. 47. That's not ideal. You know, and that's why I tweeted today that that really matters. Right. Like some of the hit, hit so, like right. I, I referenced his exit velocities before today, 95, 95, 110, 74, 106. So the 295 uh, exit or mile an hour hits he or batted balls he had had launch angles above 65. And then he had a, a bat where he hit at 110 and it was a 19 degree launch angle. That was legitimately bad luck, you know, hitting at 19 to 110. That's good. But right. and then yesterday he had an or a couple of days. Yeah, it was he pinched it in the ninth inning or the eighth inning. Um, on opening day, our home opener, and he hit the ball 106 miles an hour, but it was a negative five degree launch angle. So I just see a lot of harping on, you know, this guy's hitting the ball hard, that guy's hitting the ball hard. It's all good. And yeah, you want to hit the ball hard. That's obviously the better outcome than not, right? Like that's more positive. But right, if you're hitting the ball, you know, at a, you know, 50 feet in the air or 100 feet in the air, and it's not, it's up in the air and it's not going outwards or you're knocking the ball into the ground, nobody, you know, it doesn't matter how hard you hit the ball. So. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, uh, that's definitely the, like the pro and advance between uh, scientific data. And then just the raw, like you could be amazing, amazing raw data of like exit velocity and launch angles. And you could just be a specimen. Like we talked about with Yandy Diaz, who's just very good at hitting balls at people or atom balls. Like that's just, it's kind of like what you have to see with your eyeballs versus what you see on paper. And I think Bowers is actually ironically enough, like you said, got kind of been a bit, a bit unlucky and should have, you know, another base hit or two on his profile. But uh, once again, like when you say, hey, this ball is going at a 60 degree launch angle, that's just not a recipe for success. I've ironically enough who thinks had more bad luck than him, but who's had a solid start to the season and some good exit velocities is Josh Naylor. I've liked a lot of his at-bats. Yeah, Josh Naylor's had a ton of good at-bats. I think he had another hit today. Um, Coming into today's game and into Wednesday afternoon's game, he was hitting the ball only 86 miles an hour on average, but 
Uh, expected stats thought he should be having a better start to the year than he really has. But again, same. And then the thing to look at for him too, and this is a, it's a aggregate of, of all the balls he's hit, but um, he had a launch angle this coming into today, into Wednesday afternoon's game of 23, which is good for him because in the past he's been around like eight uh-huh. or nine, which is, you know, pretty low to the ground. It's not ideal for a guy that's the ball hard, but again, that, right. takes him, that also takes into account the pop-ups too. You know, like I said, Jake Bowers, you hit the ball a hundred miles an hour straight up in the air. It doesn't really do anybody any really good. I know he's had a couple of those as well, but no, I agree. I, I mean, Josh Naylor has been, he's, he's been good in general, but he should be doing even better than he, than he has been. Even he's better. had a lot of good at bats. Um, you know, obviously it's a good thing. Jose Ramirez is off to a great start. He had the two home runs today. I mean, this is an amazing stat I sent you to. Right. I saw this on Inside Edge MLB. I can't, I can't believe this. This, this seems like a lot. This is the tenth game. This exactly talks speaks to the offense. Uh, today's game, the four to two win, where Ramirez hit two home runs and drove in all four RBIs. RBI. It's the tenth time since 2018 that Ramirez has driven in every Cleveland run in a game. Ten. So, so you figure that's wild. 162 games in, in 18. 162 games in 19, and then 60 games last year. You're talking over 300, 300, almost 400 baseball games. And in 10 of them, Jose Ramirez has driven in all of Cleveland's runs. So that's, that's just insane to me that, that 10 times in 400 games. So a quarter of their games, he's driven in all their runs in a game. Or 10, I'm sorry, it's 10. Yeah, that's. 0.025%. That's just a lot. <laughs> so, so ironically enough today, a little fun fact that I didn't even text you about, but uh, I've always been on the Jose Ramirez is better than everybody expected, but Francisco Lindor has always been on this team bandwagon, kind of like you've been. Well, this is kind of his time to shine on a, like what is, you know, just a tad bit of a, a lesser team. I honestly think, I mean, it just depends. Mike Trout still is alive. But I threw down a little chunk of change on the MVP odds for Jose Ramirez because he's consistent, at man. And I understand he had that one slow start year. What year, what year well, was it? Well, it was there? after. It, was in, it started 19 slow because he ended 18 in a funk. That's right. Yeah, I remember that. And then he still ended up with solid numbers. Um, that second half of the season, he started hitting. You know, and funks happen, but, you know, with last year and in most of his part of his career when he broke out with Cleveland, he's been consistent, man. There's, I look back and watch games on rewinds, and I'm just like, oh, wow, look, Jose Ramirez is three for four of two doubles and a home run. Like, there's so much a part of me that thinks that someday in the right offense or the right consistent thing that he could be a 40 and 40 guy and I know that sounds insane but that's the reason I dropped some money on him for MVP odds because he goes in these spurts where he hits two home runs in every game he has 17 in like his career so I don't see why not he couldn't hit like 38 home runs and 42 doubles you know what I mean so I think he very much could compete with like the Mike Trouts of the world for the MVP odds he's always so much fun to watch on this team. He has the great personality. 
great Twitter. Him and Bieber are at least awesome to still have to on this team, even if no matter what happens. Um, so he's been the, definitely the bright spot of the team. Uh, so I guess we could go to what do you think of the leadoff versus center field versus Ahmed Rosario thing? I didn't know if you had that on the. Oh the yeah, it's on not. the list. It's on the list, and I, I agree with you on Jose Ramirez. I mean, I'm I'm sarcastically looking forward to seeing how <clears throat> he can get screwed out of MVP vote or MVP votes again this year because he's he is consistently <laughs> one of the best players in baseball and. I will I will say it till and I don't care who disagrees. Um, he would easily be one of the most talked about players in baseball um, if if he if he would do interviews in English. That's not on him. That's on. I I, I was just gonna say that I said he would be ten times more popular. Like his Twitter account is locally in Cleveland. If he like spoke fluent English and has nothing to do, he can speak however he wants. I think that just comes down to an American society problem, not on him personally, because he is consistently one of the top three baseball players in the AL every year. It shows it in every yeah, it's, it's a baseball thing. It's definitely a baseball thing where he doesn't get the publicity he deserves because of the language bias, and that's not just Jose Ramirez. I would say there's a lot of guys in. And baseball, who absolutely don't get the camera time they should because they, you know, they're not English is not their first language, um, which is unfortunate because there are players I, I can't really, you know, spell on the top of my head, but Jose Ramirez is by far one of them, and it's unfortunate. It's a baseball problem they have to figure out. But I saw someone going through the options the other day, and uh, Jose Ramirez is not a candidate to lead off. I mean, I guess you could. He is your best player, and your first hitter gets the most at-bats in the game no matter what. Um, but, okay, Cesar Hernandez doesn't want to lead off, and I guess there's some value in keeping him comfortable. Like, if he says this is not the spot I want to hit in, then, you know, he's if he's – okay. I mean, if he's if – he's, Cesar Hernandez is one of their best – If he stays – one of their the, best if, five if, hitters. So – they can't afford right. to. They can't afford to mess. I guess mess with the mojo for back of a letter, lack of a better term for Cesar Hernandez. They can't afford to mess with his mojo because they need him to perform like he's capable of performing. So fine, you put him. In the, you put him in the two spot. Yeah. And I don't think I've seen. I've seen some people argue against this, but this is what people have been saying the last couple of years. But. I don't understand the Jordan Luplo hate. Jordan Luplo hitting leadoff against left-handed pitchers because it's either him or if Caesar's not going to do it, there's no other option. Jordan Luplo makes a ton of sense. I'm fine with that. I think everyone should be fine with that. And I, I, I don't, I don't understand the arguments of people who don't like Jordan Luplo to begin with because he's a good hitter and against left-handers and he's got a clear role on this team. But yeah, the other issue is. Because he leads off for Cleveland and his and he needs a platoon partner, that means Ben Gamble hits lead off. I don't understand why that has to be like that's such old fashioned terminology. It's like, well, since we lead off our center fielder who's right handed hitter, we must lead off our center fielder who is a left handed hitter. You don't <laughs> you don't have to do that. 
you can lead off someone else when Ben Gamble's in the lineup. Ben Gamble does not have to lead off. Jimenez can lead off. Rosario can lead off. You don't have to lead off Ben Gamble because he also plays the same position that Jordan Lupo plays. That well, drives me nuts. That goes back to the whole argument about keeping your lineup consistent. Like when Michael Martinez was even on this team, remember if Michael Martinez would play like second base, or third base, or shortstop, he would just hit in the same spot as whoever he's replacing just to keep everybody else like in the same spot in the lineup. And because there's some, for some reason they think that's, that's good for the hitters to stay in the same spot in the lineup. And maybe it is, but it's never good when you're giving a hitter like Michael Martinez or Ben Gamble, the most at bats, like, and then the weird thing about that is, is Ben Gamble is not even good against right-handers. Like I, it's, it's negligible as far as his platoon splits. Like, He's over 100 OPS plus against right left-handed pitching, and he's at like 92 or something against right-handed pitching. So it's not like there's a huge difference there. But when you're a team that already has a short lineup in terms of talent and got an experience and a track record of being a good hitter, I don't see how you can afford to put somebody who is like Ben Gamble. Like if Ben Gamble is your number nine hitter and he's your fourth or fifth outfielder and he plays two or three times a week, that's fine. On a good team, that's okay. But the fact that he is on the strong side of the platoon with, with Jordan Luplo and he's hitting leadoff in the games he plays, it just doesn't make any sense, especially when he's not better against like, – if he was if he was the opposite of Jordan Luplo, if he was like, you know, Jordan Luplo's career, uh, OPS plus against – left-handed pitching in his career is like something in the 150 range. Okay, we know Jordan Luplo is an elite hitter against left-handed pitching. Ben Ga- if Ben Gamble could mirror that on the right side, you know, I don't think we'd be having this argument. You would just say, well, you know, it works, right? Like, they're they're even from their own side of the plate, but he's not. The only thing Ben Gamble's done in his career is I think he has like a 9% career walk rate. That's okay, it's just I don't know. It's 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 so confusing that like, you have to, for some reason, like you said, you have to just put the two guys. And, and, and line of construction is so overblown; it really is. But getting your best hitters more bats is always going to be good for any offense, especially one that has a real lack of a very qual or a very quality hitters like Cleveland. And they're not yeah. good. Yeah, you definitely need. Uh especially with leadoff, first of all, you say, hey, like, usually you want your first, you know, your f- one through five, honestly, I mean, that's still my feeling. One through five should be your five best hitters because those are the guys that would get up the most amount of times. Ben Gamble was not one of the best five hitters on this team. He might not be in the top ten. So, for some reason, him rolling over the lineup the most amount of times makes no sense to me. He has an okay walk rate. He doesn't have an elite walk rate that allows him to be like, oh, well, this this guy, you know, He's uh, Oakland A's carbon copy clone of what they're trying to do. He's, you know, his on-base percentage is 360. His career on-base percentage is like 329. Like, it's okay, but it's not elite. And he doesn't hit enough to warrant to be a leadoff hitter. He's never been a leadoff hitter, and he's playing in the wrong position. He never plays center field, and he's not good against righties. None of it makes, none of it makes sense at all to me. Even a little bit. Every time I see that lineup, when I see him at the top of the lineup, I'm like, you're just punting the first half. You kind of are. I mean, 
is Ben Campbell the worst player that's ever played for Cleveland in the last, even in the last seven years? He's not, but yeah, there's just no reason that he should be hitting leadoff just because Jordan Luplo does it against left-handers. He have no better options. It's going to end up turning into a trivia question 10 years down the road. It's like, hey, who let off 17 games for the Tribe and had two hits? You'd be like, oh, I don't know. And then they're like, Ben Gamble. And you're like, oh, and you do that yuck face. And it's exactly what's like, going to happen. We had the argument early on in the podcast. Like, oh, we did the preview podcast, and we, we talked about it on Twitter. Like, you know, Jake Bowers versus Bobby Bradley is not going to change the outcome of the season, whether it's 10 games, 50 games, or, you know, however you're not going to have a whole lot of difference in terms of, of what's going to happen this season. But the thing that can impact your, your team is, is putting hitters like Ben Gamble at the top of the lineup. And, you know, yeah, you can pinch hit for him late in the game, so he's not getting the most at-bats, but you're pinch hitting for him with, with Jordan Luplo. And, and, again, you're already putting a guy out there who's not who's not – if you're pinch hitting the leadoff spot every game, that's when you know in the very minimal reason that lineup construction doesn't matter that you turned it into mattering because you shouldn't have to pinch hit the leadoff position. That should be a staple in your lineup. Yeah, I mean, I can see some arguments for it. It really depends. I think it's just because in the past, well, you know, that's a good point. I'd have to go see who, who leads off or everybody else. You can't – you can't – I'm telling you right now, you can't have two hitters – just realizing that they're going to play till the fifth inning every day, then they're going to get pinch hit for for whatever reliever is going to come in because neither of those guys are going to have sustained success because they're like, well, I'm getting pulled halfway through this game. That's not how it works. Like, if you want to do that at the bottom of the lineup, those guys know that because they're batting seventh. You can't do it in the leadoff position. Those guys are going to – those guys need to get those at-bats over and over and over again. That needs to be an everyday player. You can't platoon leadoff I, spot, man. You just can't. I disagree with that because I think – you're not going to well, talk okay. me into it. It matters because of who's there. Like, Ben, it's okay. Ben Gamble and, and Jordan Lupla are not like, you know, seasoned veterans. Like, Ben Gamble, believe it or not, is only 28 years old. He's been in the league since 2016. So, yeah, he's been around five years, which is a little, yeah, he's been in 2014. He's been around a little bit longer than Jordan Luplo. Um, I think both, every, every major league baseball player, it doesn't matter who you are, wants to believe they can play every day. You do have some veterans who are have been through it long enough, where they're comfortable in a role where they know they're going to play an ex, you know, they're, they're going to play inconsistently, and they and they know that role and they're comfortable with it, and they know that's how they can make a living. And I think I'm sure Jordan, I know Jordan Lupo for sure because he had good minor league numbers against right-handed pitching, and has never really gotten an extended shot against right-handed pitching in the majors. Um, thinks he can be an everyday player. Ben Gamble probably can too because he's only 28. And Ben Gamble's got over 1,300 career, almost 1,400 career at bats. And his. And like a one more. And he has like a he's one. He's got more. three. He's three. And he's. Uh, he's oh, just depends on which side. And according to Fangraphs, 95 weighted runs created plus. And if you're, if you're a fourth outfielder or a fifth outfielder and your WRC plus for your career is 95. Like that's five percent below league average offensively, considering how you know teams carry players. Yeah, that's a major league player for sure. Like I don't think anyone's saying Ben Gamble doesn't belong on a roster. Like I think he does, but I'm not saying I'm definitely not saying that. But like he's definitely someone who's meant to be fourth out, fifth outfielder on a good team that pinch hits 
not someone that's platooning 300 at bats a piece in a leadoff position at the wrong position he's playing on defense too. It's just two opposite things. No, I, I think it can work. You're saying like these guys can't be good because they know they're getting pinch hit for. Like I disagree because look, Jordan Luplo has pretty much. All- they can't. I'm saying they can be pinch hit for. I think pinch hitting in the leadoff position is a bad idea because you're rolling over to two, three, four, and five, and having someone come off the bench every single game and then pulling the guy who's already been playing and then your best hitters two, three, four, five are coming up. Just think it's a bad idea. I don't think it's a consistent idea. And like you said, your leadoff hitter is getting the most at bats, but he's not getting the most at bats if he's getting pinch hit and platoon for through the middle of games. I just don't think it's a good recipe for success in the leadoff position. I don't at all. There's just a lot of things that go into that variable. And I think you're just going to want that guy who is consistent. I'd rather just see Luplo get 660 at bats and stay there every single day this year. I, I wouldn't be against that. Like, I mean, I think Jordan Luplo should, like, like I said, hitting him first against left hand makes a ton of sense. And if whoever, if, if Ben Gamble is leading off, then yeah, if you get if the if a left-handed reliever is coming in and they could pinch hit, you know, yeah, go for go for Luplo. He should be hitting there, and that's that's fine. He's one of their best hitters against left-handed pitching, so he should be hitting those at bats. Um, because they don't have a better option. But the yeah, the problem is is Ben Gamble getting those at bats. Like I don't know how many at bats over the course of a full season. If those two are leading off, if those two lead off every game, and hypothetically the Indians don't change that all year. Like if we get to game 162 and that's still the way they go, they're still going to combine for 600 at bats. So maybe one gets, one gets 400, one gets 200. Then, and then Gamble's probably uh-huh. going to get more because he plays against right-handed pitchers, which is again, makes no sense because he hasn't been better in his career. It doesn't, it makes no sense. There's too much, there's too much versus what makes sense and doesn't make sense. And a lot more of it doesn't make sense than it does make sense to allow for it to be successful, man. Like this is what we're talking about. We have three good guys or, you know, two good center or not even, not even two good center fielders. They're average defenders, but like two guys who are both very good against left-handed pitching who are platoon players, including a shortstop who plays center field. None of these guys are elite versus right-handed pitching, which is predominantly what the league has. Just doesn't make any sense. None of it does. And I just was looking through box scores so far this season. It looks like the Indians are the only team that's pinch hit for the leadoff position this year. So, like, it's just common theme, like what I'm saying. Once a team glues a guy to the leadoff position, unless things go bad, that guy's staying there for five at-bats a game, man. I don't think it's a good idea to pinch hit in front of the two, three, four, and five position unless that guy's a proven, very good pinch hitter. Like if it's a Brandon Guyer, maybe I don't know. Like no, it just Jordan really Luplo hitting there is fine. If it's against a left-hander, you can do it. It's when you get if a left-handed pitcher, left-handed right. pitcher starts, and you get Jordan Luplo two at bats against him, and then the third bat comes around, they take the pitcher out, and it's a righty, and you're bringing in then you're bringing in Ben Gamble, who again isn't better against right-handed pitching. He is not, he is not Luplo's part or uh, equal in hitting right-handed pitching. Like that's the problem. Like, yeah, Jordan Luplo, if you're pitch hitting for Ben Gamble in the seventh inning against the left-handed pitcher, that's fine in front of Caesar, in front of Jose, in front of Eddie Rosario. That's fine. That works. We know that works because of Luplo's track. Right. 
but it does not work for Ben Gamble. That's that's the problem. And I, I don't want to turn this whole podcast into crap on Ben Gamble. I mean, I thought I thought resigning Brian Shaw this year was going to return. I don't even think he made the. I would only think he was going to make the team. Right. Well, and I, I thought when they signed Brian Shaw, I thought, well, we know who the most hated player in the team is going to be, and then well, we know the Brian Shaw wars are coming back on Twitter. But Jake Bowers and and Ben Gamble have like made people forget about how much they used to hate Brian Shaw over no reason. But like I thought for sure this whole year was going to be crapping on Brian but, Shaw on Twitter, but it's turned into the Ben Gamble hate fest. Haven't we enough? Haven't we enough in Cleveland, I think, even just localized, grown tiresome of the very below average to average platoon outfield position that ends up being bottom of the major league stats every year? I mean, we go through this every year. And I mean, this year it's center field, but we've had that happen in left. We've had it happen in right. Uh, I mean, it's not really Ben Gamble's fault, but he's just, you know, hypocrisy to uh, the season's past because I think Indians fans are just tired of seeing below average platooning all the time. Might as well just let Luplo get his at bats and swing away or call up Daniel Johnson. I don't know. Like, but I just know right now what they are doing. I don't find successful and I don't think it's going to be successful. You and I talked, man. It's like what one for 16 now in the leadoff position. That's not what, no, that's, that's the problem on base percentage wise from the top from the leadoff spot has to be better. That's why when Carl Santana was out there, things were going so well. And, and, People didn't like Francisco Lindor hitting there, but it went well because he fit. You know, it's just we we saw in the nineties, like you go back to like how lineups used to be constructed, and again, lineup construction is is overrated. But not getting your best hitters more at bats than your worst hitters is definitely not overrated. And like Omar Vizquel hitting in the two hole in the nineties is looking back is absolutely stupid and hilarious. Um and and Jim yeah. Tommy hit seventh yeah. and Manny Ramirez hit eighth or vice versa like after, I mean those lineups were deep but they were still really silly when you had Omar Vizquel hitting second and you had you know other guys hitting fifth and sixth that had no business being up there like it's the same thing now. yeah I mean there's 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 definitely two parts to it I always like to at least have a good hitter down there uh depending on how deep your lineup is obviously but uh. I think you could run into where you bat someone like, I don't know, seventh, eighth, ninth, who's actually a pretty good hitter just to try to get the lineup rolled over. And you just don't have automatic three innings where seven, eight, nine are just totally screwing you over. It is. And, and I think that's one of the things for Oscar Mercado not making the team is that, you know, when Mercado came up, should he have been the number two hitter? Probably not. I still think Jose Ramirez should be the number two hitter. Um, and he probably should have been going back that far, but Oscar Mercado worked out fine as a number two hitter when things were going well for him because he didn't strike out and he, put, you know, he put the ball in play. He was he got on base at a decent rate. He had some speed. Like all that is great out of the top of the order, and it was also fine for him to hit eighth or ninth because for the same reason that he could get on base. You know, thirty-two percent of the time, thirty-two percent is right. not a great on-base percentage, but it's okay. It's okay when it's your nine hitter. Thirty-two. If you're if you're on if your number nine hitter gets on base thirty-two percent of the time in front of the top of your order, which should be your best hitters. And right now, what? It's not. Best it's hitters. not. That's the exactly. problem. Yeah. It's just. 
I would definitely rather I'd re- definitely rather six through eight be not good instead of seven through nine. I'd rather that lineup roll over because I just don't like the aspect of baseball. It's like, hey, we ran into the seventh, eighth, and ninth of the Indians lineup. We can basically take this inning off. If we want to even throw a middle reliever who has a high ERA, we can because most of these guys are automatic outs. I think that is the most big cliche in baseball, but some of these lineups are constructed like that, man. They will put their worst three hitter seven, eight, nine. I don't I mean I'd rather the six hitter honestly be worse and roll the lineup back over to get to the I other think guys. that the ideal hitter at the leadoff spot, if if Cesar Hernandez, if you're if they're so dead set on listening to Cesar Hernandez say he doesn't want to hit leadoff and he's gonna hit second in the lineup. I think their other option, at least early on, it should be Andre Jimenez. Like that's that's the only Agreed. The guy the guy of all the guys that are on the roster right now. Like, if they want to continue to that loop low leadoff against left-handed pitching, absolutely fine. Go for it. But against right-handed pitching, absolutely it should be Andre Jimenez and, and not Ben Gamble. And if they want to continue to play, like, if if they don't want to play Jordan Luplo against right-handed pitchers and they, as currently instructed, continue to roll out Ben Gamble there as his platoon partner, okay, fine. Hit him ninth. Yeah, well – uh, unfortunately, the Indians have a guy who would be a perfect leadoff candidate wasting his time down Who's on the that? alternate site right now. Uh, so, Daniel Johnson, I think he'd be a perfect I, leadoff. Maybe he could be, but I also don't think you would do that out of the gate. The guy's got like eight career bats. I would not do that. Like, if they were to call him tomorrow for some reason, I would not do that. I mean, Jimenez, Jimenez is 22. True, but he's had a. I mean, he played. He did play all of last year <laughs> in the majors, so he's got a little bit of head. Cover. He played. He played. He played. He played a COVID season. Like he's still very much, you know, just as unseasoned as Daniel Johnson, if you ask me. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I would still prefer Jimenez there. Just and there's a little bit more of a mile track record for for a couple things too. Um, I, I would just be real, well, more willing to put him there and let that go. If they're not going to put season at the top of the lineup, and again, we're talking, we're, we're hammering on lineup construction like it's a big deal, and it should, like you said, it should be. But when you when you put somebody, it it yeah, I mean, lineup construction isn't a big deal until it turns into a big deal because you you screw it up. You know what I mean? Like it's definitely not something that should be harped on, but there's reasons you can screw it up. And I think we're at that moment right now. I think like you're, you're running into like innings that are automatic outs, like too much pinch hitting, too much platooning. I think you're playing around a little bit too much. And I understand you're trying to see guys and everything else, but just really not working out at all. And especially the most alarming is the leadoff position. You can't just keep starting off with the leadoff position. Just be like, Oh, that guy's out. Like, that's just not great. I mean, the only time the leadoff guy got on base, he went all the way yeah. around the bases. The Ben Gamble, I don't know. Ben Gamble's got a three thirty-one career on base percentage. I guess you would take. I mean, that's what that's exactly what Andre Semenes did a year ago from the Mets. So, like I, yeah. Well, if you ask, if you ask, if you ask Zach Meisel, three thirty-one on base percentage is not good enough for leadoff position. No, I definitely I agree. It's good. not, but. Are you going to get that from him? Like he's at three thirty-three right now through six plate appearances and uh, not taking Wednesday's results into account. So maybe we're harping on this too much. We'll see what happens. It's definitely not. 
one one more one more one more quick thing on that too because we're talking about Jimenez. Uh, are they just trying to also just platoon the two guys they traded for Lindor at shortstop because? But like he's not really saying he's like, oh, we're trying to get Rosario at bats, but Jimenez is our everyday shortstop. But Rosario's not played in center field yet in in the season. Like, well, what are you exactly doing? Like, you're really not making a lot of sense. Well, I'm I'm glad you brought that up because they did address that actually. Um, Rosario has continued to work in center field. They're not ready to put him in center field just yet in a, in an a actual game that means something. So. Their reasoning was they just wanted to hit Rosario some at-bats while he continues to work in the outfield um, on the side. So he's taking – on the days he does play, he's taking ground balls at shortstop. On the days he doesn't play, he's taking fly balls in center field. So here soon, probably in the next like week or so, you're going to see Rosario find his way into center field. And they did make it clear that they're not going to platoon Jimenez. Jimenez is the shortstop. So – I, I think this is temporary. It's not something that like yeah, it made it made no sense like Sunday and Monday. Yeah, the man I would three say days. by the end. Yeah, I mean he didn't, he didn't play Sunday. They they didn't play Monday, and then they were off Tuesday. He played Wednesday. Um, so it looked it looked goofy at the outset, but after hearing that explanation, I would say um, by the end of the month, if it's still an issue, to revisit it. But I would say by the end of the month, uh, it, that's not going to be something. So I, I'm not going to like make a major deal out of that right now, especially because I think it would be ridiculous to put Rosario. It would have been ridiculous to put Rosario out there day one, considering how late in camp they put him in center I field. I could so, only imagine what the podcast is going to be like when they're trying to rotate those three guys through center field. Like what's going to happen next? That's what's going to happen next. That's good. That's going to be the weirdest thing is what happens when we're ready to put Rosario in center field, because Rosario, I think he's better against left-handers. Like he doesn't really have, and he, like, finding a pass for Jordan Luplo has to be key because he does it left-handed as well. So, like, you have to find him his way in the lineup because he's on your team. If, you start, if you start getting Ben Gamble at-bats because you think you need to get him at-bats and it ever cuts into, like, Eddie Rosario and Josh Naylor, I'm going to be aboard the, I'm gonna be aboard the train of this is freaking nuts. I just – Yeah, Ahmed Rosar- Rosario has a better track record against left-handers, 119 WRC plus to 78 versus righties. So there's no natural platoon there. So my guess is that he's just going to play against righties, and um, maybe they move maybe they move Naylor to first against left-handers and put Luplo in right field, and they put Rosario in center field um, instead of Yu Chang at first base every day against left-handers. But also that's been fine. Like Yu Chang has had some good at bats, and he's looked very good at first base defensively. So. He doesn't deserve to play a little any less than he already has, but it's just a whole weird yeah, man. conundrum. I'm at the, again, I'm at the all, point where, like, to... you're trying to get look at guys. You specifically should be trying to get look at guys for trading Francisco Lindor. And, and, it's crazy. I keep harping on Ben Gamble because I actually wrote his player preview, and I like Ben Gamble as a person. Just I don't understand why he made the roster. I just don't. Just you got to let these these people get their at bats and their playing time and their growing pains and like the Yu Changs and Ahmed Rosarios and all that stuff should be getting at bats and maybe he gets DFA'd in two weeks when Rosario moves to center field but it just doesn't make sense to me. This isn't a team meant for a minor league deal fourth outfielder getting three hundred at bats. That's a team that has like ninety wins that when someone takes a day off, Ben Gamble can play. 
it's just not the right person or fit for this team currently. Yeah, there's a lot of weird fits, and a lot of it does go back to how they handled first base in spring training and how they handled right field by putting Nail in right field and putting Bowers versus Bradley at first yeah. base. Like, that's that's how the whole roster got very weird um, in the first place. And, yeah, I, th- I think you make a great point that in two weeks, if they're ready to roll out Rosario as a, as a regular center fielder, you could easily see Ben Gamble DFA, and then this all goes away. And and the other thing that to stress, too, is that your roster on April 7th is not going to be your roster on June 7th. But, you know, I think we've just seen enough of the So track. be it. So be it. I'm gonna have to send Ben Gamel. I'm gonna have to send Ben Gamel a gift basket for how much I unreasonably bashed, bashed him in this podcast. Right, like you said, there there is a fit for him on, on not a on team. this not on this team not on this team. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think maybe early on, I want to say I forget who, who brought it up. Somebody brought it up that I think Jeff Alice from um, Lockdown Indians brought up that. Having Rosario play center field necessitated uh, Gamble making the team. So I wonder if maybe they did that just to get you know somebody to fill in while Rosario got comfortable in center field. So we'll 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 knock off the Ben Gamble talk and we'll revisit that again at the end of the month and see how things are going. Um, the other thing I want to bring up too, I, I've seen this a lot of places and it makes me laugh because they look stupid saying it, but I'm not going to sit here and like throw bombs at people on Twitter, but. Um, the Indians leading off Ben Gamble and him playing center field is not the fault of the Cleveland media. Like, they're like, <laughs> oh, well, the Indians refused to ask Francona why Ben Gamble's leading off. That's why he keeps doing it, because because the Indians aren't asking – the Indians media doesn't ask tough questions. <laughs> can, I, can I add to that and say that also – the Indians weren't being, and I'm I'm usually the first guy on the list to say the Indians are cheap, but saying all oh, the Dolans oh, are yeah. saving a few a few hundred thousands of dollars <laughs> between Tyler Naquin and Ben Gamble, even though they both make the league veteran minimum <laughs> on a minor league yes. deal, like it, it's not the Dolans being cheap or like the Indians screwed up. We we got plenty of our action of Tyler Naquin over the years. He had hot streaks, he had injuries, and then he also sucked. Just because he's had an awesome 48 hours in Cincinnati doesn't mean shit. So stop. And it has nothing to do with money. No, and and, and the odd part is, if you were saying all the Indians love their washed-up veterans, uh, Ben Gamble's 28, Tyler Naquin's 30. So that ain't it either. Uh, so nothing against Tyler <laughs> Naquin. Nothing against Tyler Naquin as a person. Also, he's not an everyday major league outfield baseball player. Cincinnati could be over him by June. You guys just don't know. So stop tweeting. Derek Derek Dietrich, remember that <laughs> homegrown talent? Yeah, everyone was so pissed off that the Indians didn't bother to bring him in, and he like made the All Star team. Uh, he was hitting bombs every day in Cincinnati. Everyone's like, "Man, he's like gonna have this guy." He had like one. He had like one home run in three hits in the second half of the season. And they DFA'd him, and now he's on like the Yankees practice squad on the alternate site. Like, yeah, he had a good first half. Good for him, but he's it, it was a flash in the pan. And I'll, I'll give Naquin credit that he has hit the ball hard. Like I, I looked at his exit velocities too because. 
again, that's the thing we seem to be harping on early in the year, and it matters. But, yeah, he's hit the crap out of the ball. But today, today in, in Cincinnati, he also hit a, a home run on a ball that had, like, a – a 390 expected batting average or something like a home run. Yeah. Like usually home runs have like a, when you hit, a, when you hit the ball, well, have like an 800. Like, like, yeah. It's going to like be like 500 and above. No, like Jose Ramirez is home runs on Wednesday. Both had expected batting average of like 890 or 900. And Tyler Aikman hit one today. It was like 300. So, um, well, let's revisit that in a month as well and see if, uh, the national league has, Resort is to throwing high fastballs. The first, the first, I was going to say, I was going to say the first starter, I would go back and look at his home runs and see what the pitch came in at. But the first starter that starts to throw him high in 94 and a bigger amount in the National League, he'll be out of a job real quick. Yeah. So, again, it's not – opinions aren't being cheap because he's gone. Uh, he was terrible was, last that year. That was the craziest – the craziest take I've ever seen in my entire life. It was – it's been – I mean, again – Re- reacting to <laughs> reacting to a lot of things after five games in baseball is is going to make you look stupid a lot of times. It just is. Like I told you the other night, unless your unless your <laughs> unless your observation is Mike Trout's really good at baseball, there's a good chance by June if you have a hot take in in, in April, it's going to look bad by June. It, the, the bad part about that take, Justin, is it's not even a take. You could just like look it up <laughs> online and see how much money Ben Gamble makes and see how much money Tyler Naquin makes. That's true. Like, That's it's just, not a take. It's not a take. <laughs> it's just lazy, lazy tweeting. I don't know. The other thing, the other thing is too on that. Like I said, like the question has been asked. I, 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 I listen to the media sessions every day between Francona and uh, a lot of the writers on zoom like multiple times, like at the end of spring training, the start of the start of the year last week, the question was asked how, what was the process or what's the thought process behind Ben Gamble leading off? And it, it's pretty much what we explained it. It's, it's because Luke will leads off. Naquin leads off or Naquin, geez. Um, ben Gamble leads <laughs> off. Like, and, and it was Cesar Hernandez it doesn't want to lead off. He wants to hit second. So the question has been asked, like, multiple times. It's not like everyone's afraid to ask, well, why is Ben Gamble leading off? They've asked multiple times what the thought process is behind that decision, how that decision came to be. So they're like, oh, well, they want to ask why. That's why it keeps happening. Okay. They could ask five, five seven days in a row why he's leading off. They're going to get the same answer. And they're going to piss people off in, in the in the meantime. And despite what some people might think, asking that question five days in a row is going to make you look stupid, and it's going to get you in a lot. It's going to it's going to get you in some trouble. Like it's going to make you look dumb in front of a lot of people, and it's going to hurt your ability to get and ask questions and get questions answered. That's the thing is, a lot of people don't understand about this either. There's a, there's a nuance and a balance and a relationship building aspect to like any kind of media, whether it's sports, politics, whatever it is, there is a, a relationship building and a nuance aspect to that. And you build and you develop that relationship. You, you learn how to phrase certain questions, you know, if you read the person you're asking, you kind of feel out when it's a, when is the right time to ask them this question, because Again, you could ask these questions five, six, seven days in a row, 
and you're going to get the same answer and it's going to piss them off in the meantime, it's not going to change anything. Like you might say like, Oh, well good. Piss them off. But it doesn't, you know, if, if I, if I start getting back in on these zoom sessions, like on, I, I could ask Terry Francona every day that I'm on. Why is Ben Gamble leading off five days in a row? You know, what's going to happen. Ben Gamble is going to continue to lead off and I'm going to look like a jackass and no one's. I'm never gonna. I'm, no one's ever gonna answer any of my questions ever again. There's there's yeah. a nuance to this that people don't understand. So again, these questions have been asked multiple times. They've been answered the same way every time. And you can't ask the question twenty days in a row. You just can't. It doesn't work that way. And people who don't understand that clearly have never read into this sort of thing before, or don't have any kind of insight into this stuff. So stop tweeting about Tyler Naquin. And stop tweeting about how Ben Gamble's leading off because Cleveland sports writers are afraid to ask tough questions or afraid to ask about Ben Gamble leading off. They're not. And Tyler Naquin probably ends up hitting 250 with 10 homers this year and spends a month. What on, manager? On what what manager in their right mind is making roster decisions off of media questions? Oh, it's ridiculous! Days? Like it just doesn't make it just doesn't make any sense. Just lay off the media. Like they're good at their job. The, the Zach Meisels and the Mandys and the TJs of the world, they're good writers. They ask good questions. They criticize teams on podcasts, too. I don't know if you guys go listen, but they criticize the team, too. So it's not like they're like, oh, Tito's the best, and I'm just going to ask him easy questions. They ask the tough questions. Sometimes you don't get the right answer because they're not going to open up and tell the team ev- about the team everything that's going on on the inside. So just leave them alone. Yeah, Okay. I felt, felt, it felt so good to get it off my chest because it's been, it's been pissing me off the whole whole start of the season. How about some? Okay, other- with that, with with no, hold on, with that, the one thing that with Tito that did confuse me a little bit today. So I listened to the game at the office while I was at work, and Hamilton said, uh, Tito in his media session said, "Well, the reason the offense isn't hitting is because they've had too many days off at the start," and I've been trying to wrap my brain around it for all day and it still doesn't make any sense to me too many off days is the reason that you're not getting the ball onto the field and getting hits it just doesn't make any sense to me like i feel like off days should help yeah I don't, it doesn't make any sense you know what that answer doesn't make any it doesn't make a lot of sense in april because you want to know what it's still april and whether you had the off day, like you could easily just have rain out. It was of- the most confusing. Like he could have like another answer. Maybe he just like bypassed the question. Just the answer, the answer itself. And I'm trying to like think of a logical reason why that would make sense, good or bad. And it just doesn't make sense. Right. It, I mean, if it were like, if it were the middle of the season, and they had like for whatever reason they had like three like three or four straight off days that weren't the all-star break. Like there's always, remember there's always that thing in the postseason. Remember when, when the season ends and you have like a, you have four days in between games before you get to like the first playoff game. Right. Like there's always like, Oh, we have to have a scrimmage. We have to have the teams. Um, we have to have an inter-squad scrimmage. So the guys can get their bats and they can stay sharp. Like at the end of the year, that I think that makes a big difference. I don't know if that – I mean, I guess guys are still trying to get their footing under them in April. Um, I think it, just, it would have been better off just saying nothing at all, to be honest, because – Honestly, it just, it just doesn't really make sense because then, like, let's say, like, 
a COVID thing happened and then they played a doubleheader at the start. He could very well go into a press conference and be like, oh, we're not hitting because we had to play a doubleheader on Friday. So that's the exact opposite of an off day. So it just really just doesn't make any sense to me. It really doesn't. I would, I mean, I just say it's, it's April and you just say, well, yeah, just say it's April. It's just say it's an early season. Right. I mean, forget don't the, find an excuse forget, for it. It, it, it. Is it weird that they've had, like, is it weird they were off Tuesday and now they're off Thursday? Yeah, that's very weird. 100%. That's weird. But you just, I mean, even you can ask that question if they had those games and they weren't hitting anyway. Again, you just, again, the answer is it's April, it's, it's cold, and um, it's an inexperienced lineup. That's just, you know, what it is, you know? And yeah. he's probably. I just wanted, to, just wanted to point it out. I thought it was odd. It, it is a weird answer. But I mean, I don't, I don't see it as a, like a, you know, what the heck? This is one of the dumbest things I've ever heard moment. It's just, it was a weird, it was a weird answer. And, just weird answer. I mean, and I, in, the, in the grand scheme of things, probably doesn't make, mean a thing. Um, no, absolutely not. And I mean, I'll take Tito's answers most of the time over anybody on Twitter's um, still to this day. But I just found it to be odd when I was listening to it. I had very much a question mark look on my face when I heard it. Here's the other question. Here's the other question mark I have. Um, I, I mentioned this on a couple of live broadcasts uh, and Twitter after, after the, home, uh, the season opener. I'm I'm perfectly fine with getting Yu Chang at bats against left-handed pitching. I think it's a good win to get him in the lineup. He's had some good at bats. Um, I'm I'm just a little bit not perturbed. It's not the right word. I'm a little bit curious about how this is going to play out with Jake Bowers. So it's another platoon spot spot where Bowers doesn't play against lefties, and Chang is playing against lefties. And I know Bowers is the strong side of the platoon, so they've had a lot. They they faced a lot of lefties early in the year, so maybe this evens itself uh-huh. out. But if you're trying to get a look at Jake Bowers to see if he can be a productive player as a first baseman moving forward, which you know most of us agree he's not. He's definitely not a first baseman in terms of offensive production. No chance. Does he maybe have a future as a as a up end gambles to spot in the outfield. I don't know, maybe, but, <laughs> <laughs> but like you can platoon first base. I think I brought this up with somebody else. You can platoon first. Do you remember? I know you remember this. I'm sure you do. Um, was it 05? It was 05. Cleveland had, it was 06. I'm sorry. Cleveland had Ben Broussard at first base, platooning with Eduardo Perez because Ben, uh-huh. ben Broussard punished right handers and Eduardo Perez was like 34, was kind of towards the end of his career, but he always had a track record of hitting the crap out of left-handed pitching. So Cleveland had a platoon. And, play, that was, and playing the guitar. Well, that was Broussard. Yeah, not Perez. Um, <laughs> yeah. They had, you know, Broussard was a young player who had some experience, but was playing every day on the strong side of the platoon as a left-handed hitter. And you had Perez, who was a veteran who was comfortable in his role hitting against left-handed pitching. And it worked out well. You know, the Indians traded in both Seattle, and they got since Duchun and Shubo Cabrera. For whatever reason, Seattle decided to just acquire both halves of the platoon like two weeks apart. That was one of the funniest things that ever happened. But that that worked. Right. Like, that was good. Both hitters were having good seasons in Cleveland when that was happening. But I don't think it works the same way when you have players like Jake Bowers and Yu Chang where – 
Jake Bowers has like 500 career plate appearances and, and Yu Chang has like 100. And you're trying to see if you're also like be a future player. Yeah. And you also have like the, I mean, Perez and Broussard were very much stereotypical first baseman their entire life, and they hit like first baseman. Jake Bowers has hit like a utility outfielder, and Yu Chang hits like a utility infielder, and neither of them are playing a natural position. So, like, even if they were to platoon for success at first base, it would it's be non-stereotypical. It'd be it'd be very different of what you would expect out of a first base position. Like you're talking about how you shouldn't platoon the first the first off spot in the lineup. Like that's a problem because it's supposed to be one of your best hitters and a, 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 a guy who gets on base and is, is a productive hitter. It's the same thing at first base. Like first base is run. It's what, yeah. It's one of your spots where it's a, it's a high bar to clear offensively to be a productive offensive player. Like if you, if you weight the positions, I don't know, having, having a 780 OPS OPS, in like as a shortstop or a second baseman or a center fielder, 780 works, right? Because you're playing a premium a defensive position and maybe you're a good defender, maybe you steal some bases. But it's, And you're hitting different part of the Right, lineup. and in first base, that's not the case for most teams. So, and, and I'm not saying it can't work because if you have like a non-traditional team, like if you have other spots in your lineup that are producing offensively, like they like above average, like second base or shortstop, like the Indians have had at third base. If you have other spots on the, on the roster that are great run producers, that's just and if, if first base is your like a softer spot offensively. If you have other spots in the line that can make up for it, that's one thing, but the Indians don't. And I just question, like, how long does this change things for Jake Bowers? Like, if you're Let's say the Indians face a left-handed pitcher once every five games. If you want to get like I don't know, three hundred, four hundred more bats out of, out of Jake Bowers to make a, a, a one more decision on what he is for you, how much longer is it going to take to do that if he is not playing once every five days? Like it just makes things go. It it shrinks things out further. And again, I'm not I'm not against seeing Yu Chang play in some kind of role, but like, if you're going to get a look at Jake Bowers, get a look at Jake Bowers. Like you made that decision. How, how much longer is this going to take to look at him? If you're platooning him, right? Like, does it just extend how long it takes, it takes to get a read on, on what you want to do with his future? Yeah, man. I don't know. Uh, if we do decide that 400 at bats is what we need out of Jake Bowers, I'm going to need a, a medical grade, uh, whatever you want to call it, because I don't know if I can handle it, but I'm more than fine with the team trying to get a good look at a guy, considering that some of his at-bats have ended in, like, very hard-hit balls. Uh, it's just a very non-traditional system, and these are two guys that don't have a ton of experience at first base and are just not traditionally first basemen, and they don't they don't have that drive-in-run potential to succeed in that spot. Like a first baseman usually hits three, four, five, six. They don't bat like eighth and then like hit 10 bombs and have 30 RBIs and walk a ton. I mean, can it work? Yes. But like you said, it has to come from somewhere else on the lineup. And right now, currently we both don't know if that's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, I, I am concerned about that aspect as well, but I'm just, like I said, I'm more concerned that it's going to, it's impeding. If they, if their plan was to look at Jake Bowers, just look at like, 
play him. You know, don't don't string this thing out to July because you're you're sitting him once every four or five games because he's facing a lefty. Like I get you're trying to win, you're trying to, you know, take advantage of the platoons and all that, but like man, you're just really stringing this decision along by doing that. I feel like and, and I, I said this on a, a live too after one of the games. I don't think Jake Bowers being on the team was Terry Francona's pre- uh, preference. I think Terry Francona wanted Bobby Bradley. I think this was uh, – I mean, they, they probably agreed on it together, but I, I think that if, if Francona was the sole decider on this, I think he would have gone with Bobby Bradley. I think Francona likes Bobby Bradley a lot, and I don't think he has been a huge fan of Jake Bowers since 2019. There's a reason – I feel like there's a reason Jake Bowers never got a shot in the outfield in 2020 as bad as things were. Yeah, and, man, I don't disagree. And I, I think the fact that they're platooning him says even more about what they think of him. You know, like I think if they thought he was – like look at Ben Gamble. Like Ben Gamble's leading off and playing a, a decent amount of time so far. That's, that's you know, a decision on what they think of him as far as consistency and um, the comfort level with him, you know, whether or not he's good or not. But – like, if they were that comfortable with Jake Bowers, were they just not playing every day? I don't know. I don't know. I, I think that came – that decision was probably a tough one. And I think there was some split. They're just kind of reading Terry Francona's comments when that happened. And uh-huh. – Yeah. I think that probably um, – they had a bit of split. I'm very much, much – I'm, I'm very much in the Joe notion of, like, Bobby Bradley deserves a look – and if we're all just saying, hey, he's out of options, you still got to get a look at Jake Bowers because of the Yandy Diaz trade, and you want to see if you have something that's great. I mean, sometimes you can just kind of – what they're not going to do it, but you can sort of just, like, punt on a trade. I don't think he's going to be a recipe for success on this team. Like, he's going to be, like, 2025. You're going to forget that Jake Bowers played for the Cleveland Indians unless he all of a sudden is, like, has an on-base percentage of 370 and is able to hit – 270 because he needs to do that because it's not going to come in the run the run production part of the game he's never going to be able to do that man never like he's going to string he's going to string out a couple home runs he's going to string out a couple doubles it's just not going to lead to long-term success at the plate and the bad part is is i think he's really good at defense but that doesn't matter not at first base you need to yeah, I mean, but I still think he's a good defender overall. And from what I've read is Tampa Bay liked him a lot at first base. So I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Um, so it's one of those things where, like, we agree. It's like he hasn't been there a ton, but I'd rather give him more caution tape at the defensive side because he's a, at least known for some kind of defense. He's not known for offense. I mean, maybe he was when he was early on as a prospect. But right now, he's – seems to be a guy who's going to hit 240 of 10 home runs uh, and then walk a decent amount. But that's just not somebody you can have in a run-producing part of your lineup. Um, he'd be very much more fit to be like a backup outfielder for like the Astros or something. I don't know. Yeah, that's again, that's not my point. My point is not, like, like we talked about, the difference between Jake Bowers and Bobby Bradley is, is negligible in terms of how this team is going to play this year uh, or in the next couple of years even. My my only point here is they made like they made this decision in spring training. They had to see if Jake Bowers was at least worthy of another look. Um, 
or if it's if they need to move on and just go with uh, Bobby Bradley finally. My only concern is is how long they're going to drag it out. Like I think you need to get to a point where Jake Bowers either hits and you feel comfortable going with him the rest of the year, like he's hitting enough to stay there, or he's not. It's not working out. You got to move on. Let's get Bobby Bradley up here. You have to make that decision sometime this summer. And I think it's just prolonging the decision because of the Yu Chang thing. This isn't Yu Chang's fault, but like I said, I, I think nah. I'm, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna chalk it up to like they pitched a ton of lefties so far. I think Jake Bowers is gonna get his at bats regardless. Yeah, that could be true. I I still I still just don't I still just don't love the idea of it because I don't I don't think they should string this out any longer than they have to. Anyway. Uh, on a better note, let's end, end the podcast this way. The bullpen has been really good. I know James Karen check, um, aside from his Instagram posts, um, <laughs> 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 that's not a good note. Um, gave him a run. Okay, oh, we're not going to get into that on this podcast, but, uh, if you, if, if you know, we could talk about that another time with anybody else who listens, um, <laughs> he gave up a run on Wednesday with the hit with the with two on that didn't work out very well. But holy smokes, man! Emmanuel oh. Casse is just mowing. He is down. awesome. He, he is. How do you throw a hundred two mile an hour cutter? Just come on, dude! It just oh my god! And they're like, well, he didn't strike out a lot of guys in Texas, and then Carl Willis is like, yeah, he just doesn't even know where it's going. If he knows where it's going, no one's going to be able to touch it. Yeah, I, I don't know how a guy. I mean, it's hard enough to hit a baseball when you're doing the things he does with it. It's absolutely insane. So, I mean, I mean, can we say that Cleveland won the Corey Kluber trade with Texas? Uh, I mean, he pitched two innings. One guy pitched one inning, so it's over. With yeah, Cross A in his Cleveland career has three strikeouts in two innings and has not allowed has not allowed a hitter a run. Corey Kluber pitched. I think I think the Shields. I think that I think the Shields had a hit when he was here. He had a yeah. He did have a hit. He stole some he stole a base. Um, maybe, maybe. God, that was a disaster. Yeah, maybe maybe Cross A needs to pitch like fifty innings to make up for the damage that the, the Shields did in Cleveland. Uh, but yeah, I think Cleveland won that trade. Uh, Lando Classe looks really, really freaking good. Um, Brian Shaw had one good outing. Trevor Stephan had a good outing. Uh, Nick Wittrin nailed down his first save on Wednesday. Like so far, so good for the bullpen, and it's been great for the pitching staff too because um, each of the five starters, four I should say four, because Justin McKenzie followed Logan Allen on, on during the home opener, but. He looked they great. both look great. Yeah, they both both of them had some command issues. They were uh, nibbling at the plate a little bit. I think McKenzie walked a couple batters, but they looked fine. And and their starters are getting into the sixth inning. Outside of Logan Allen, uh, you know, police axed Savali and Bieber twice. But his pitch count was decently. I mean, hypothetically, his pitch count. I don't think it was in like it wasn't like ninety five or hundred. Like I think they pulled him at like seventy seven, eighty. I don't remember. I forget yeah. everything, but his pitch count wasn't terribly high, so like he could have gone maybe another inning. So like, yeah, they're getting yeah, deep. and that's a good thing. I mean, it, again, we, I think it's like you said about the offense; they have not really faced any good, really great uh, pitching yet for the offense. Well, I would probably say the pitching staff hasn't faced any great offenses either. They haven't. I mean, Detroit and 
Kansas City aren't exactly going to be aren't going to be top ten offenses at the end of the year. So I'm not going to like draw any hard conclusions because of the track the lack of experience from the starting pitching as far as the full season goes. But yeah. you know, so far so good. They pitch well, and they're supposed to pitch well. And um, like you like you were saying with the offense, like you would you would hopefully think the offense would beat up on on some bad pitchers with bad track records. They have not. That's the most concerning. That's the most concerning right. and, part. But, it would if it was like if it was an opening day start versus Justin Verlander. I'm like, okay, it's Justin Verlander. It wasn't Justin Verlander. It was Matthew Boyd and Danny Duffy. Yeah, and on the opposite side, the pitching has not faced any real great um, hitters, but they've got you know lineups. But they have done their job against you know lineups that aren't great. So that's a good sign. We'll see where things go because. Uh, it's not going to be an easy end of April. So Cleveland um, is going to host Detroit in this coming week and uh, from weekend series, three games, you'll see Plesak, Savali, and Logan Allen. Then they go to Chicago, play the White Sox four times. They stay on the road. They go to Cincinnati for three. Uh, Cincinnati and Tyler Naquin have been just beating every pitching staff up in the National League so far, but they only face the Pirates, so – We'll see how they do when they face Cleveland's pitching staff. Um, then Cleveland comes home for two against the White Sox. Then they're home for four against the Yankees, who can't beat the Orioles right now, so we'll see how that goes. Um, they're home for three against the Twins, and they're back on the road against the White for three to end the month of April. So after this Detroit series, Spencer, you've got the White Sox, the Reds, the White Sox again, the Yankees, Twins, and the White Sox again. It is going to be against much better teams than the Royals and the Tigers uh, here very soon. So it's going to be really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know how the season is going to go. I'm I'm more concerned than I ever am, but at the same time, it's what it's what to be expected as in a growing pain. Season, so I mean, we always say this phrase at work: "It is what it is." So let's just watch it and try to have fun and find the bright spots where there are the bright spots and see if someone. I mean, there will be someone this year who's going to end up like hitting that we didn't expect to hit, and he's going to hit consistently. And it's going to be, it's going to be awesome to see because you're going to see like a young guy match the potential we expected out of him. Um, on another note, I wanted to bring up real quickly in this podcast before we ended it. I'm never making a prediction again. I put the athletics in the World Series. I think they started like 0-6 or 1-5 or 0-5. Uh, I was going to pick the Braves, uh, but I did pick the Padres. Tatis got hurt. The Braves are like 0-5. Uh, I picked Framil Reyes as my breakout hitter, and then I think he won like one for ten to start the season. So I'm not very good at the whole prediction season preview th- preview thing here. I think I'm cursing everybody. Yeah, so it's a few games in. Tatis got hurt, but. Framil Reyes hit the ball hard. I don't know about the Braves. The Oakland Athletics have a ton of injuries. That's the one thing you could say about Cleveland, knock on wood, is that uh, there has been some injuries. I mean, Tim Anderson from the White Sox has already hurt. The Athletics have lost Chad Pinder and Trevor Rosenthal. At least Cleveland's healthy. You know? Knock on wood, we'll say that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, you, you, yeah, you, you, find, you find, you know, it, it, yeah. it is what it is. 
uh, you know, injuries are a part of the game. We'll have injuries definitely a part of our season too. So yeah, it's happened early on for them, but they're also like, I, I think I saw the A starting rotation Ooh. had like a 9.84 ERA. So that has nothing to do. That has nothing to do with Chad Pinder. Or Tra- no, I mean, they face the Astros so. who apparently either are still good hitter hitters or they. Uh, yeah, man, I can't believe Michael Brantley's making thirteen million dollars. What a steal yeah. that was! Oh well. All right, we'll we'll just we'll just end it there. Oh, well. um, yeah, we'll just we'll just end it there. So stay tuned for for next week on Smoke Signals, <laughs> where we pick another player to bash all podcast long. And um, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's all I really got. Follow me on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, sorry, sorry Ben Gamble. Uh, Brian Shaw appreciates that someone's taking the heat on him for a change. Um, <laughs> you can follow me at Jail underscore Baseball. You can follow Spencer at scarls 29 Follow official underscore RBI for following him Baseball Insider. Go to the website. Check out uh, Willie Hood just uh, posted his latest draft board for this year. Um, that's the second update to that, that. So that's new information out there. That's good. Check that out if you're interested in the MLB draft. We'll have pro, uh, prospect coverage coming after you in May. We'll have some other innings coverage here uh, throughout the month of April. So stay tuned for all that, and we will catch you next week. Thanks.